Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found out, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm a host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's upset he won't get to go to Ames this year. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, yeah, no Levi, no party. Uh, um, look, uh, Ames is going to be cold. And so I will uh, I will, will not be uh, in Ames in November. Um, look, if, if, you're, if you're looking for a presidential caucus city, you can do a lot worse than Ames, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know where they go in Iowa per se, but Ames seems like a fairly nice city. I think they have clean water they like to advertise. So, you know, absolutely. If you're a an aspiring uh, political journalist, if you are a fan of defensive football, there's there's things to be found in Ames. Defensive football is probably the chief export of Iowa itself, right? <laughs> Iowa's between uh, the Ferentz clan and John Heacock just camping out in Ames. Like, I think outside of corn, it's like corn and defense are the two things that Iowa produces really well. So we've got certified friend of the show, Brett Wilkinson, on to talk about the Director's Cup, the academic and athletic year that was. To give us a, a little preview on where Texas uh, missed it in the margins. He was on the show earlier, predicted a Texas win, so we're going to make him account for his sins. And then we've got... <laughs> Levi, in what is routinely our longest podcast of the year, the <laughs> Iowa State preview. Uh, it's great. Levi's incredible. We love having him on. Uh, but it's a long conversation, and it's great stuff as well. Iowa State's in a, a state of flux, and we, we ask Levi to dive in a bit on a program that's been a model of consistency. Uh, what the heck is happening in Ames? This is the big week of interviews, as we promised. We had Hudson and Jeremy on Tuesday. Now, on Thursday, You've got Brett, and we've got one more Levi coming for you after the break. But Brett, the man, the myth, the legend, the cup dater himself is here to help us uh, take a look back at the Director's Cup year, the athletic year that was, and potentially look forward at the years that could come. Brett, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. You know, it was just Father's Day this past weekend. We always feel a bit like a proud father as we uh, we had you on and, it, and you've launched and grown. And and uh, every time I see you make an appearance elsewhere or see the cup dates, uh, you know, tweets going wild, I uh, I feel a little bit proud. You know, I, I knew him when. Yes. Well, happy Father's Day to both of you on behalf of me, your podcast son. Thank you very much. It makes you feel some kind of way. No. So. <laughs> Brett, what I what I, I want to start with, Texas uh, finished second this year in the Director's Cup points. Well, we don't know what the margin is yet, but uh, it's going to be a relatively tight margin that Stanford beat them out. You were on the show and you predicted, you put, you put your flag in the, the sand that Texas was going to win the thing. So kind of what went different between, I guess, what, you know, three months ago and, and today looking like Texas is going to be second to Stanford? Like you said, another really great season for Texas. Uh, I'll start off by saying, I know... Um, Chris Del Conte is going to be listening to this on Thursday. He will. Today is his birthday. And I looked back at this. Had things gone a little bit different in a different universe, a different timeline, um, had A&M beat Stanford in the regional, had Texas gone on to, of course, beat Texas A&M in the super regional, and then had Texas gone to Omaha and wrapped up winning their second game today on Chris Del Conte's birthday, 
this would have been the clinching moment for Texas to, to three-peat. Mm. So there is there is an alternative universe out there where I wasn't lying to you guys three months ago, and a CDC would have been popping, popping bottles on his birthday to celebrate the three-peat. But it was, you know, looking at the numbers then, the, the rankings, it was a healthy 100-point margin um, for Texas, which felt pretty comfortable and I probably even said something um, along these lines. Then dominoes are going to fall. Points are going to be scored differently. This is just a prediction, but a lot of dominoes would have to fall in Stanford's favor to make up a a 100-point edge. And I tell you what, about every every domino (laughs) fell um, in favor of Stanford, and they just kind of ate away at that lead. And uh, the final margin, because Stanford's eliminated um, in the College World Series, it's about a 40-point margin. So wow. that's that's not much in in the big scheme of things. So a very tight race, a fun race to follow. It was a lot of fun doing this the last three months. Um, a lot of excitement um, out there. A lot of a lot of interactions with UT fans, Stanford fans, fans of other schools. I'm on Twitter, which was a lot of fun, and you know, hopping on a few other podcasts, doing live radio, talking about this. Um, it, it was a lot of fun over these past three months to follow along, and not the outcome that Texas fans wanted, but that you know, it's it's the friends we made along the way. You know, <laughs> look, if we're sitting here lamenting finishing as a close runner-up for the best athletic program in the country after winning back-to-back titles. We know we've got this thing humming. We're in a good spot, right? We wonder what it feels like to be uh, Alabama football fans, and uh, even they can't feel this lately, but uh, maybe at the peak. There were a couple programs, uh, you know, that that could be any of the tennis or golf teams going a little bit further. Like, at 40 points, I mean, that really, honestly... how how could you make 40 points up uh, across one or two sports? I mean, how, how many spots for the folks so they can conceptualize that are we, are we talking? You no, know, 40 points is a great number to mention, you know, the change in rowing outcomes. Texas went in as the as a likely champion, so they they did kind of get passed in the rankings by Princeton there at the end. Stanford was looking to get fourth and it flip-flopped. Texas got fourth, Stanford got first. That was 40 points right there, so wow. Even if rowing, you know, we avoid the geese um, <laughs> in that second race, so to speak, and Texas comes out on top, you know, Stanford doesn't outperform. There you go, right there, rowing. Um, looking at the, the tennis court, um, you know, our, our men's tennis team, they finished in the final four. That's fantastic. The expectations for them were a championship. So that was 17 points. And then one of the fun things with Rector's Cup and following is you pay attention to events and matchups that you probably wouldn't care that much about you know i know everybody was glued in watching columbia versus stanford in the round of 32 absolutely tennis championship well stanford upset columbia in that round well that was another 14 points so you see right there even just since tennis that's that's 31 points and then texas a&m not only let us down in baseball in the regionals but also in women's tennis um Number seven, Stanford beat number two, Texas A&M, and that was another 10 points. So there's 41 points right there on the tennis court um, that we needed, and, and we just we didn't come away with at the end. One of the one of the things that always comes up in the conversation about the Directors' Cup is just Stanford's sheer volume, right? They have 
nearly double the sports that most schools have to choose from, right? Where as Stanford gets to choose its its top sports to fill in these spots, schools like Texas have maybe one or two sport margin at best to really switch. So um, when you think about the existing sports for Texas, right, like where is like the low hanging fruit for Texas to make up the gap. Cause you know, Texas is strong in a lot of ways, but there's still some, um, some groups that, that potentially not underperformed, right. But have a, have a chance to contribute at a greater level to uh, the overall outcomes of the athletic department. Yeah. One sport I'll mention first is the newest one on campus, which is beach volleyball. It'll be interesting to see how they do in their first year. I know it might take some time to build a championship program, but they brought in a championship winning coach. Yep. Um, and that was another spot for Stanford where they actually gained a lot of points um, and closed the gap. That was another 40-point swing right there. Um, I was thinking they would lose in their first round in like a round of 16 game. Um, they moved up the rankings. They ended up winning in the round of 16. On top of that, um, the bracket went from a 16-team bracket to a 17-team bracket. That sounds like a very small change, but I, I even emailed the folks at um, the NACDA for clarification on this. What bracket size are you going to use? And instead of using a 16-team bracket scoring, they used a 32-team bracket scoring. So mm. Stanford winning that match plus using the other bracket, it gives you more points. So that was a, a swing of 45 points right there in women's volleyball, in beach volleyball, I should say. Cheaters. So, all that to say, next year we're we're going to be competing in that same bracket, and we can have that advantageous scoring uh, working in our favor as well. So I'm excited to see what beach volleyball does. Speaking of bringing national championship winning coaches into the fold, um, I'm curious to see where cross country goes. Um, our dropped score this year is women's cross country. Um, men's cross country finished 18th, not bad. Um, but I'm curious to see where the hiring of Greg Metcalf, who came from Washington, he won a national championship there. Um, the first national championship in Washington's history, as I understand it. So he's got a national championship pedigree. And if he can improve those cross-country teams and they can start scoring more points consistently, that just gives us more depth um, of scoring. And, and with cross-country, if I had to give an MVP – for the Directors' Cup this year, it would be co-MVPs, um, and it would be two runners from Stanford. I know everybody is very familiar with Kai Robinson and Charlie Hicks. So these two guys, they run cross-country for Stanford. They finished first and tenth in cross-country, and Stanford finished fourth as a team. So big points for Stanford in cross-country. Um, and then they go in the outdoor championships. These two finished first and second in the 10K they finished first and sixth in the 5K. And then Stanford had one other runner, Pete, and he was a sprinter who did really well in the 100 and the 200 meter. So literally a three-person team for Stanford um, moved their outdoor track and field finish all the way up to third place. Wow. So if we can get those type of cross-country results, not only is it going to help us in cross-country, but Texas has no distance runners that are really scoring points in track and field. So if we can get a, a couple of runners that can score indoor and outdoor and track and field, you know, those runners can have an impact on three different sports um, that are included in the director's cup. I'm really curious to see where that program goes to next. So you heard it here first folks for all our big money donors who listen to this 
podcasts. If you want to grease the right wheels and get this uh, thing moving for Texas, get back on the Directors' Cup, you need to start offering substantial NIL packages uh, for the the not just middle distance. We've been all right at the the eight hundred, but the you know the the quad digit races is where we need to focus. One on geese prevention on lakes quad digit races uh and uh and also on just maybe investigating this Stanford collusion of point scoring and uh abnormal uh point advantageous discrepancies in Stanford's favor so I hear it, I hear it. there's a grand conspiracy and uh I, I think you laid it out pretty well yeah I think somebody maybe with like a cross-country trucking business I mm. mean Oh, I'll add. I mean, it writes itself, really. That's a fair point. So Gerald asked about the sports, the the schools on campus now, right? The or excuse me, the, the sports on uh, campus right now that the school competes in. We we had you will it into existence last year uh, at our wrap up and say, you know, to our friend and and uh, avid listener, Crystal Conti, hey, you should add beach volleyball, and he heard Brett say that, and so he went out and added beach volleyball um and as you said a national championship winning coach so we, we assume whatever new sport will also bring with it some national championship winning winning coach so um i know we've asked you this in the past but because of the great power in this exact podcast in years past what are you willing into existence for texas in the future to to compete with stanford's you know 30 some odd sports yeah last year he he beat us by by not even a full day making the beach volleyball announcement before the podcast dropped you know the the two sports that i mentioned um in addition to beach volleyball um, that i still think are great value adds from mostly from a director's cup standpoint um, would have to be bowling still it's a woman's sport it's a small roster you just need a bowling alley which i'm sure austin has a couple at this point um and you're not competing with with big name programs the the biggest name out there is vanderbilt you know tell me that we can't compete with you know sfa um, and bowling pretty immediately so so i think that's kind of low-hanging fruit for the director's cup the other is rifle which similar story it's a co-ed sport which actually counts as as men's um scholarships for title nine so that might be a little bit of a fly in the ointment there but um again small you're not dealing with with big name um programs you have to beat out the the service academies which you know fortunately those those folks are pretty good with a, a rifle and cdc also has experience with a rifle program at tcu so you know i think that's one that could be potentially looked at i, I think kyle mentioned it last year and i've heard multiple people mention it you know so so if i had to give you a third i do think gymnastics is not a bad add just the talent that's in texas it's a bigger yeah. roster you know you need some facilities to to be able to train and you're throwing your hat in the ring with um, some pretty established power programs to do that but that that's one that you could maybe build a program over you know three four five years that could start competing and if you add women's if you add men's gymnastics as well um, there's 15 d1 men's gymnastics programs so there's some good programs out there, but you know you're automatically in the top 16 if you add men's gymnastics. So, mm. so so you might be able to add both um, both gendered sports at that point. I like it. One thing Texas is not uh, short of is gymnasts. We've had some gold medals I've mentioned before who who you know didn't 
uh, come DT, but grew up in, in the state. We also are not short of rifles, um, so so shooting makes sense. Um, we are short of the legendary bowling alley. I'm not sure if, if anyone on this podcast had been to Dart Bowl, um, which was a, an Austin institution for like 60 years that uh, was a great bowling alley that also served some bomb enchiladas. So uh, maybe what we need is the enchilada bowling alley combo to come back at the same time uh, that uh, that the, the program becomes official. And then who really can compete with UT and, and the, the, you know, I don't imagine NIL costs more than all you, you can eat enchiladas for a, uh, for a bowler. You know, if I'm a collegiate bowler, you tell me I can get, let's call it anywhere in the, the realm of six to 24 enchiladas a week uh, for free. I'm, I'm signing, I'm signing with UT. And, and I think that's how you pack on some good bowling weight too. So <laughs> If only they still had the bowling alley on campus in the in the Union Underground, that would have been like the, the key place mm. to do it, right? Like that that makes sense. I, I don't think it's there anymore. I haven't been in the Union in I don't know fifteen years, but uh, that would have been the key place for it, right? I don't know that the spot was really worthy of um, scholarship athletes, so to speak. <laughs> I know I enjoyed my time down there, um, <laughs> but but maybe maybe better for folks that we're we're bringing in to win natties. And when we build the brand new bowlatorium, um, you know the new purple bowling center uh and pete weber comes and opens it up uh for us you know it, it will be a grand affair i have no doubt in in crystal conti so look texas jokes aside an incredible season coming up just short is unfortunate you heard brett really break down the 20 or 30 different possible scenarios that could have gone differently but at the end of the day two champions two runner-up finishes 10 top fives 13 in the top 10 i believe the uh Top 10 and top fives were, were second most in school history. In the past three years in the Del Conte era, right, they have 40 top 10 finishes. This is a conversation that we are going to be having on this podcast for years to come because Del Conte has the athletic program humming. And if you want that type of, of conversation and content, you got the guy right here, the director cup date uh, extraordinaire, uh, Brett. So if, if folks want to hear all of these great takes, any other great content you have, where do, where do they get that? Yeah, I have to imagine the Venn diagram of people who listen to this podcast regularly and also don't follow me on Twitter. That that's got to be a small portion of that Venn diagram. It should be. But if you're not, if you're not, please come um, follow me. Um, I love interacting with people, um, answering questions on there. I'm Directors Cup Updates, and the handle is at Direct underscore Cupdates. Um, so so come follow, and and I'm always happy to interact with people on there. Brett, thank you again for everything man we'll obviously have you back on um at regular intervals to discuss the cup date and all things director's cup appreciate it y'all have a good one you too brother in our biggest week of interviews yet you had two on tuesday and now we're into our second one of the thursday show iowa state we're moving through our schedule podcast and since every podcast is somebody's first podcast if you're not if you're new to us, again, what we do every offseason, we go through every week on Texas's schedule and preview the opponents that are there. We're doing it in reverse, so we don't have to preview Rice twice or anything like that. Just get us out of that uh, nightmare. But we have Iowa State. But it would be twice as Rice. It would be twice as nice <laughs> to preview Rice twice. Uh, I, Dr. Seuss had a really easy job. I'm going to say that. But anyway, so you heard his voice already. It wasn't even the, that hard. The man, the myth, the legend. Levi Stevenson of 
Wide Right and Natty Light, and about 19 other different Wide Right affiliated properties. But Levi here to help us preview the Iowa State Cyclones for 2023. Man, Levi, how you doing? Unfortunately, I already burned my normal intro with cracking a bush. Like, cause I, I I cracked it well when I right when I joined. I've just been I'm like mostly done with this one. So I, Do I ruined the pause? intro. I don't know. Do we <laughs> need to one? let a second? I'm not going to lie. Cracked? So don't tell anybody that don't tell anybody this, but um. I actually don't drink that much in the off season, and uh, I just happened like I got home from my soccer game uh, this this evening, and I got home and I found this one bush light sitting in my fridge. And I was like, I'm drinking it, <laughs> and it was it was destiny. But honestly, I cracked it a little early, and that's just kind of where we're at. And, and if that's not a metaphor for uh, you know, I don't know, you could say either football program, honestly, but uh, cracked it a little early. But we're, we're gonna we're gonna look ahead at, at what's cracking. <laughs> 2023 um it's cracking yeah you know both programs coming off interesting years iowa state down a bit from from what we've come to expect in the matt campbell era finishing four and eight only i think his second losing season since his uh, first year when he got there just his third ever as a coach if i read that right um so so i mean start there uh what are the what are the expectations what are the thoughts what are the vibes around uh, you know, coming off a, a four and eight season after all the NFL talent of the year before, what are things looking like heading into 2023? There is no other way to describe this off season and upcoming season other than a time of change for Iowa State because they, you know, I I would say it has been kind of the bastion of continuity for the, I mean, the entire Matt Campbell era, hanging on to virtually the entire staff on a year to year basis. You know, they haven't really been hit by the transfer portal particularly hard, but then this past off season. We get wholesale changes. Tom Manning is gone. Jeff Myers is gone. Uh, a few other position coaches are gone. Matt Capone is gone from the secondary. Um, bringing in a cut, bringing new running backs coach in. Now Nate Shieldhaus moves to offensive coordinators and quarterbacks. Imagine that. Our offensive coordinator is also the quarterbacks coach because he was also a former quarterback instead of coaching running backs and receivers. Amazing how that works. Um, but anyways, so you know we've got new position coaches all over the place. By far the biggest change, though, um, and a new strength and conditioning coach. By far the biggest change that has the chance to have the greatest impact and I believe will be a hugely positive change is on the offensive line, bring in Ryan Clanton. Offensive line coaches don't typically get don't are, are not a lot of red not a lot of name recognition typically in the in the uh, college football world, even with people that are fairly plugged in. If anybody knows anything, you guys you guys have heard me talk about this before, but playing Northern Iowa sucks. <laughs> playing Northern Iowa is the worst thing you can do to yourself. And you know why? Because Ryan Clanton made their offensive lines a nightmare. And we have Ryan Clanton now. We stole Ryan Clanton from him. And honestly, the guy, previously Iowa State's offensive line, I would categorize as soft and kind of not great. Here and there, they've had some good players that made it look probably better than it was. Um, and they've had running backs that make it look, and quarterbacks that make it look a lot better than it was in a scheme that protected uh, a bad offensive line. However, if there is anything that the I would anticipate that the line will not be labeled as under Ryan Clan, it is soft. They, I mean, he went in and like the first video that like the social that the social media team put out is him just like yelling like a crazy dude and say, like like his whole thing is like violence, violence, violence type of thing. Like he's just like if you if you see out like I would say linemen like suplexing people on the field, that's that's probably why we're we're to the point now where we're like there better be at least one unnecessary roughness penalty by the offensive line every single game type of thing. That is how Iowa State is going to approach the offensive line from now on. Um, Because that's and honestly, if you're gonna play, if you're gonna play ground and pound football like Iowa State typically likes to do, that's what you got to do. You got to be, you got to beat people on the offense on in the trenches on the offensive line. You got to push them around the field. You know, I want to see someone to do like a blindside thing, like block them into a trash can that's in the other stadium type of thing. 
That's what I want. You know, the practice field's right next door. Just send them over to that. <laughs> that field over there is fine. Um, or even the indoor one's fine. You might have to open and have someone hold the door for you. But I don't know if it's going to happen in one season because that's a full-on attitude culture change. I think if there's anybody that can make that happen, it's going to be Ryan Clanton. My biggest fear is that if he does as good as I think he's going to do, the NFL is probably going to poach him, and that's going to make me extraordinarily sad. He is that caliber of an offensive line coach. I feel 100% confident in that. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I I would be shocked if you don't see a totally different offensive line at Iowa State by 2024 where they are playing bully ball. And Because, you know, if there's if there's anything that, that homegrown Iowa State, that homegrown Iowa high schools produce, it is offensive line and it's <laughs> linebackers. They kick out I, for some reason. Iowa, the like the state of Iowa, kicks out some damn good offensive linemen and and linebackers and corn. tight end. It's, it's corn. corn. Yes, it's corn yeah. fed. Yes, yes. <laughs> the old the, it's corn and not not bush like because we don't drink underage here. That's uh, correct. That's correct. That's right. Bailing hay from an early age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In straw. Actually, it's been a rough summer. Actually, there's a, there's a place around here that hasn't gotten rain a month. Which I know for like if you're like in West Texas, you're like wow, that's a lot of rain. But right. you know, like now we're like, but honestly, up here that's. <laughs> A bad drought. But anyways, back to back to football instead of away from agriculture. Um. So anyways, <laughs> it's a time of change at Iowa State, and uh, you know that is the overarching thing to all of this. There is talent in key positions. Quarterback, you got Eckers and JJ Cole. Especially JJ Cole is the guy that's really gotten a lot of hype because he is the second highest rated prospect Iowa State has ever gotten uh, after Alan Lazard, and he's a quarterback. He's six like six five, and he was like the elite eleven MVP. I don't know how much stock anybody puts in the Elite 11. It's kind of a whatever thing, but it's cool. It's recognition. There's other yeah. good quarterbacks there. You know, it's not nothing. He was the best quarterback at that Elite 11 competition. Um, all indications are that he's every bit as good as advertised. The staff has had glowing reviews of him so far. We'll see what, how, what happens there, whether he, you know, whether he takes over early or he, he waits till 100 Eckers is gone or whatever it is. Who knows? Running back, there's there's talent in the room. It's got to stay healthy. That's been the biggest issue so far. A good offensive line will go a long ways to helping both of those position groups succeed. You could tell me that Iowa State won two games this year, and you could say they won nine or ten, and I would not be surprised either way. Ge- I mean, the genuinely, the ceiling and the floor could not be farther apart with this team. The the, the raw talent and I think and I think the coaching talent is there to put together a really really good season. I, I genuinely believe that. Now. The talent is young, which means that the volatility is all over the place. And generally speaking, when you have young, if your volatility is here, you're gonna fall a little bit. You're gonna you're gonna go a little bit below the mean. Generally speaking, I mean, like you know, if they just beat you and I in Ohio, I mean, like that would make me sad. But honestly, I'd be like, mm, it's probably not like <laughs> totally bizarre because Iowa State got a horrific schedule for the one for the one crossover year where the Big 12 is a is a 14 team conference Iowa State got jobbed so bad <laughs> like just an awful schedule i mean they've got to go to Oklahoma they go to Cincinnati they go to Baylor they go to BYU they go to Kansas State horrible the only saving grace is that we get to watch a bunch of Texas Longhorns Oof. come up and bitch about the cold weather in middle of November. <laughs> That's the only saving grace. And unfortunately, Texas is probably going to be really good. So it's probably not going to be any fun for that. First of all, if there's any podcast and group of podcast listeners that appreciate a good offensive line coach rant, it's a group of people that have listened to me talk about line yards and the difference between Alabama and Texas in the last two years since the Kyle Flood thing happened, right? So like, th- this is a group of people that are all in. They're eating it up with, with their spoon and fork 
talk tonight, loving the offensive line conversation. And you mentioned the 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 additional change, right? Not just the offensive line coach, but Tom Manning out the door. Nathan Shielhaus, right? Did I get that right? Shielhaus. Hey, Nate, she, she, if you guys remember, he was a big. He was a really fun on quarterback at Illinois. Illinois, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bowl, bowl really game MVP, player. I think, in 2010, 2011. Yeah, he was, like he was kind of like he was kind of like Pat White light over in over at Illinois at, right around the same time frame. It was a lot of fun. He's uh yeah, so he's offensive coordinator and now actually coaching quarterbacks like he probably should have been this whole time. <laughs> Make makes it makes whatever. a ton of sense. So you've got him, oh, yeah. you've got you've got two of the top seven players ever recruited in, in Iowa State history in the quarterback room with him. So like what's the expectation for the offense with you know the new the new man he's been he's been in the program for a while, but you know, every OC brings kind of their own flavor to the thing. So you've got two talented arms and a you know a quarterback's a, a quarterback coach who used to be a quarterback and an OC. So like what's the expectation for like the passing game and, and just the offense overall with with the new blood in the uh, in the coaching room. Well, I mean we won't know until he actually calls plays. Um <laughs> But the general and unfortunately, because of Iowa State's just like the way Iowa State's non-conference schedule is every single year where it's Iowa and somebody else and probably you and I and you play in Iowa plays like it's 1978. And you can't play and like you have to like cater to that. So you can't even run like a real you can't even like run a real offense until like week four against Oklahoma State. That aside, the general belief is that the offense will schematically not be a ton different you like you'll still see plenty of two two tight end sets stuff like that some heavy sets and stuff like that but the general belief is that he'll be a more aggressive play caller mm. um and utilize the fact that Hunter Deckers and JJ Cole both have absolute cannons attached to their shoulders and to and they've got plenty of speed i i'm going to there's a well uh, if, i don't know if we're talking about the receivers at some point but there there's there's a lot there's some deep speed in that room um, right now that I think they can really take advantage of if they let if they open the open open up the offense a little bit more like we thought they were going to do last year. Turns out Tom Manning decided to throw all of the playbook out <laughs> except for shallow cross and inside draw. The idea is that we're not going to be doing that as much this year. Now, granted, a lot of that will depend on the offensive line because the offensive line has to give you time if you're going to start if you're going to start chucking it deep. The offensive line has to give you time, or you got to like scheme rollouts and bootlegs and shit like that. If if the offensive line is fine, I think the the offense has a chance to, to take a pretty significant step forward. But generally speaking, Matt, uh, offensive line has been easily the weakest position group in the Matt, under the Matt Campbell era, which is bizarre to me because he's a, such a run a run heavy offensive coach and stuff like that that like you would think that would be the one that that gets taken care of first. But turns out that quarterback has weirdly been the the like the the star position on offense. Well, and tight end, I guess, but. And running back, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with. It. Maybe I should say that quarterback has been a surprisingly stable thing under Matt Campbell. Maybe that's a or surprisingly good yeah. position under Matt Campbell. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. If the offensive line gives them a little bit of time and the running backs a little bit of room, the offense is gonna is going to be better. It really couldn't be much worse. We were talking smack to Iowa because their offense was so bad, and it turns out ours was basically just as bad as theirs was. <laughs> um, I wondered if there was some kind of prohibition in the state of Iowa last year on. Yeah, yards we and made or points, points illegal. Um, it's one of those things, you know, we just decided that was that scoring was bad. Touchdowns are, you know, that's a, that's a rich man's game. We got to keep <laughs> playing, you know, we got to keep playing, make sure that we score nine or less points every game. I mean, you know, that's just really how the good dubs are racked up is by making it excruciating, as excruciating and unpleasant as possible for everybody involved. So if we turn that on its head, 
And, you know, we you mentioned the offensive line, and I think it was 3.3 yards per rush last year. And you, you expect, <laughs> you know, the line being better, you're going to you're going to be sorry. That wasn't meant to rub it in. <laughs> That's I, so bad. I won't mention that it was like last of the Big 12 and 113th or some of the nation. I won't mention that part. Um, but to oh, me, we'll <laughs> yeah, so I won't, uh, of course. Uh, but to me, it feels like more than, you know, as you talk about a new offense and being more explosive and whoever's going to be, you know, taking the, the lion's share of the carries, I look at this offense and see a Xavier Hutchinson sized hole, right? A guy who gets over a hundred catches is so integral. All Texas fans have uh, memories of, of cornerbacks trying to, trying to shut him down. And, and he's just, you know, a great receiver. Just just yeah, exactly. And, I, and so how, how do you my, get, how do you my get greatest that? player comp I ever have done as a writer ever was him. When he came in, I compared him to Justin Blackman. Best mm. player comp I've ever made, ever. Mm. Just a dude I, that he's tall, he's big, he's fast, he just gets open. That's all he does. Still and have nightmares about both. Phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal work by me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no praise for the receiver, but for the writer who, who covered sure. But yeah. so how do you how do you replace how do you replace that uh, and also get more explosive and better and, and, and more yards and everything at the same time. So I would say it's going to have to money ball this thing where you don't try to replace Jason Giambi. You try to remake him. Mm. You try to rebuild him in the ether. There's an argument to be made that while Xavier was an unbelievably good receiver, they the offense became too focused on him and it became easy to diagnose what Iowa State was doing on offense because it was either Xavier Hutchinson was getting on a cross route or Xavier Hutchinson was getting it on a slightly farther cross route. Like that's, that's, well, that was the whole offense. And by not having that guy there that they're just going to throw it to 18 times a game, literally that forces them to, to spread the ball out and make it harder to defend. Cause now, you know, now, you know, there isn't a, okay, we can, if we can stop Xavier Hutchinson, they're going to be in trouble, you know, or that type, or you do the, you know, let him do his thing and stop everybody else type of thing. It doesn't, it doesn't create one point of leverage for, uh, the defense just focus around and, and stop that. Um, there's a there's a few names on here that I've been and specifically one in here that I think I'm gonna I'm gonna name drop. I don't know exactly what he's gonna do this year, but this guy, uh, his name is Koran Adams. He's from Arizona. He's a redshirt freshman. He's playing receiver. He is five seven, and I have never seen a faster player on tape in my entire life. I'm like, you guys remember how like fast Kanani Wangu is? Yeah, I'm yep. pretty. I'm pretty confident Quaron Adams could take him in a take him in a forty right now. Wow, like right now with Kane being in among, you know, one of the best kick returners in the NFL and Quaron Adams being a nineteen year old or a twenty year old Richard freshman. I'm confident that Quaron Adams could take him in a forty. He is, wow. a, he's outrageously fast. I don't know if that means we're gonna use him. You know, I hate to make this comparison, but like use him like a Tyree kill where you're just sending him all over the field and just basically letting his speed do the do the, all the work. I don't know how they're exactly if they're going to do that because he's young. He came in kind of raw. You see what his route running and stuff like that looks like. But in the spring game, the dude was electric. Um, that's a guy I think he you know he won't be the first or second receiver, but he's a slot. If he's a slot guy, that he can he can be a game changer from the slot. But you know, there's a few guys here and there, another freshman too that I have to mention because I think he's going to get some run is Benny as Benny Nagoya. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. It's N G O Y I. I think it's Nagoya, um, but. He's from Omaha. He's 6'4", and he he has clock times on his 247 profile at 438 and a 42-inch vertical at 6'4". That's explosive. Um, that's, yeah. that's like that's a game-changing athlete. It's a video game athlete. That's a, that's a video game athlete. That's the one you cheat to make like to own your friends with. <laughs> um, 
we'll see what he looks like. It's another one of those raw athletes that he just he needs to improve his route running and things like that. But that's a guy that he can be an immediate deep threat um, for you right away. Um, we'll see if they do that. But there's a few guys right there. The guys that the one that I keep hearing about, he is a well. Dimitri Stanley had, a, had is a transfer from Colorado. He had a, a pretty decent season last year. The one I keep I was trying to find him on the roster. There's one guy I keep hearing about, uh, Jaden Higgins. He is a transfer as well. Um, I mean, I think he's from Eastern Kentucky. He is one that I keep hearing that has had a very very good spring and will probably be like a like probably the sec probably first or second receiver um, on the depth chart. And then obviously Jalen Knoll. Uh, he is been here for a couple years. it seems like he's been here for a long time but he's actually he's only a junior um so i think that's another another guy that's going to get plenty of a lot of snaps there so i think it's just one of those things where you're not gonna like there's probably not a xavier hutchinson on this roster right at this moment that you're going to throw it that you're literally going to target 16 to 18 times a game and you know expect him to catch 12 of those you're, there's not that guy on the roster right right now i don't think there is maybe there is but i don't think as right now there isn't that guy so they're not they're not going to do that. And I don't think I, I don't think I would want them to do that either because it became it became too one dimensional last year. So you use all these guys. They you know they've got some talent in the receiver room. They just need to spread the ball around and get them in good positions. Hopefully the offensive line gives the quarterback time to throw. And that's that's really what it is. I think they can replace. I think they can replace Xavier by having a more balanced offense. Is basically. The, that's that's your solution. Like I said, they're gonna have to money ball this thing. I think it makes sense. So it makes me uncomfortable that none of the people you mentioned were tight ends, but that's just another conversation. It's just a year of change. Could change. There, there are some State. good tight ends on the. There are there are good tight ends on the roster, but like it's kind of hard to replace the best tight end in school history. Sure. It, and honestly, the three best tight ends yeah. in school history. <laughs> I mean, like when you have Charlie Chase Allen, who are both in the NFL now, yeah. and and Dylan Sainter, who was a late round pick by the Saints and is still on the Saints. You know, like there's. It's pretty hard to replace that. There's guys in the room I think that are going to be very, very good, but they're just they're young, and it's just kind of what it is. They're I think they're going to still continue to be, to use them quite a bit, but we're just going to have to kind of see what that looks like, I guess. But tight ends are not going away from the Iowa State scheme. <laughs> they're just, you know, it's hard when you go from having Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler, Chase Allen, and all these guys who are all now having very good NFL careers so far. Um, and just go to having a whole bunch of new people in there and not yet. You, know, you can't, you can't possibly expect you to retain some that offensive efficiency, you know, Brace Hall up until he tore his, until he tore his ACL was probably going to be the rookie of the year. Um, and Brock Purdy, obviously Brock Purdy with, for the 49ers, <laughs> an unbelievable story. I couldn't be happier for the kid. Charlie Kohler finally got healthy and had had a few good games with the Ravens. Chase Allen is sticking on the bears for a while. You know, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of talent to lose from one year and uh, just a lot of turnover. So we all knew it was going to take a step back. It sucked too, because there was, they took a step back, especially from the wins and losses, but like they still played a load of one score games and were really close on a lot of them. They, sh they should have beat Texas. They should have beat Kansas state. They should have beat Texas tech. You know, they, they, they should have been in a bowl game at minimum last year. Um, just some really dumb, dumb mental mistakes and, Sometimes those happen. I wish Iowa State would play fewer one-score games, but this is Iowa State Cyclones football, and we're all here to die. All here to die young. So, you know, that's just kind of what it is. What was the question? I just made an offhanded comment about tight ends, and we ended up here, which is fine. No, I'm but, just having. A, I'm so just having a full-blown existential crisis over here. <laughs> It's it's fine. Another good spot for it. We we've done it before. We're Texas fans. We've been That's Texas fair. fans since Char we've done this podcast under Charlie Strong. So the number of existential crises that have happened on this podcast. This is a safe space. 
We almost stopped talking about football at one point. Guys, I'm not going to lie. I, 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 so, I do hear I do hear your frustrations for the last 10 to 15 years of Texas football. 13 years, anyways, of Texas football. Brother, we're going on 115 years <laughs> with this program. So, you know. so we talked a lot about change, right? We talked a lot yeah. about change. One thing that, that didn't change last year and isn't changing this year is John Heacock, right? The professor. Um, it was, right? The man, the myth, the legend. The, the, I mean, the professor is act, the elder statesman, wow. whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, Iowa State's offense sucked last year, and I think every game they won was probably floated by the fact that John Heacock ha- had a top 20 defense last year. He's a damn magician. He lost Mike Rose, Orion Vance, and a few other really, really talented people, and all he did was put together the best defense in Iowa State school history and a top yeah, they three were, to five defense in the country last year. They were seventh in FEI, and I think you compare that to their offense, they were like 118th. It's like that's the disparity we're looking at here. Uh, if you like the advanced stats, but you know he's gonna have some holes to fill, a Will McDonald size hole, uh, one specifically that, that we want to talk about. But they returned three, you know, two of their top five tacklers, plus I think number seven on the list. Like what you know, Heacock could turn the three of us into into solid you know a top t- top 50 defense you know, we're, we're way past our years of eligibility yeah. but he could do something with us because he's just that yeah. good but like yeah, we could, he can figure it out honestly for sure so uh, it got to the point last year we were telling we were saying that he should just start being the offensive coordinator doing just calling plays and- it worked for those other guys in iowa right a lot of their offense was floated by their defense <laughs> yeah. for two years running obviously the expectation right. is just more of of hecock defense but like how like who are the pieces who are the who are the chess pieces that this grandmaster is going to move around on the board this year so for the first time in the entire john J, john haycock slash matt Campbellera, the secondary is gonna be the best unit on the field because the secondary is outrageously good the linebackers are gonna be good the defensive line is gonna be very solid you lose will mcdonald who is iowa state's first first round pick since 1970 whatever hell yeah will mcdonald shout out to the uh new york jets for just drafting the entire the entirety of the iowa state cyclones the defensive line is probably not going to be like world changing like it was last year, but they're still going to be very good. There's still some really good names on that offensive, on that defensive line, especially that um, I think are going to have a really good shot at Samuel. Same is a, is a young guy. He's going to get some rotation steps. Joey Peterson has come, come along. That is Zach Peterson's younger brother. I don't know if you guys remember Zach Peterson or not. Um, uh, I can't as Yogu. He is um, a guy that he's a retro freshman. He's going to get a lot of run. Um, there's a few other guys in here too. Tyler and Yedem is a, really stout defensive broad 6'4, 292, and he rotated outside, played opposite of um, Will McDonald quite a bit last year, and it was a really, really nice pairing. He's gonna I think he's gonna be a big time like breakout candidate there. Um and there's just a there's like they've just done such a good job recruiting that defensive line. Um that Eli Rashid is maybe one of the most underappreciated like position coaches in, in college football. Um, with the work he's done with that defensive line, and along with Tyson Biden, with the linebackers, the work those two have done to just consistently put out fantastic units year in, year out, even losing, you know, when you had a few years ago, yeah, like see, you lose Mike Rose and O'Ryan Vance, and somehow the linebackers get better. You know, you lose, you know, you had those years with like um, uh, Joel Lanning and Marcel Spears, and he just turns around and makes them better. You know, I will never, ever doubt their ability to put good units on the field. Uh, even though you lose a first round draft pick on defensive end, they'll be fine. However, like I said, the best unit on the defense this year is the secondary. Yeah. Because it is outstanding. I would say it has two, like probably, I would, I would argue maybe the best cornerback pair in the conference with TJ Tampa and uh, Miles Purchase. Two unbelievably good corners that have played a ton of snaps, 
TJ Tampa is a, if he leaves after the draft after this year, his combine numbers are going to be ridiculous. Like probably like he's probably like a fourth, like four, four sub four, four guy with a 40 plus vertical type type of guy being a six, two corner. Um, he's, I mean, he's an NFL player right now. If he wanted to be uh, miles purchase is very, very good. Uh, safeties have always been really good under John Haycock. Um, you know, I think they're, and they're, they've got a good rotation back there too. Um, I think, man, Jeremiah Cooper played a lot last year. Malik Verdon played a bunch last year. Um, Bo Freeler has been a staple back there for a few years now, and the dude's a John Lynch clone. Um, he just does. They just they have so much talent back on that back end that I passing against Iowa State is going to be a tough task this year. Um, the only reason it's going, if it ever struggles, it will be because. It, if the defensive line isn't able to get up to speed right away and they're giving just a little bit too much time to throw, that's the only reason that this I see this secondary potentially faltering. But as long as the rest of the defense continues to do what it's done for the you know the last eight years, can you believe this is Matt Campbell's eighth season? Um, I, I think I read somewhere there's only like 12 or 15 coaches more tenured than him at this point well, in their current I think, I think Mike Gundy is the only... Big 12 coach that's been around longer yeah, than him. Yeah, definitely Gundy is. Which but is I, I mean, even nationally, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It, and it because it just it kind of just it still feels newish or whatever. Um, just because I think it's partially because we've seen so many firsts and new things with him at Iowa State that it just feel like even even in bad years, we're still seeing things that Iowa State hasn't really done before. Where like even when they're total shit, like they were last year, where they only won four games, they were still competitive in nine or ten of them. Like where if the ball bounces a, a different way in a few different games, they they're a nine win football team. So, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things that we're just seeing even in bad years, they're way better than they used to be type of thing. So I think that's probably why it just still feels fresh because we're not used to seeing that out of Iowa state. But anyways, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a a secondary, I think that they can really use as a weapon from what I understand too. Cause if you could, if you could knock John Haycock for anything, which I don't know why you would, but if you could find a fault with John Haycock, because that his defenses don't force probably as many turnovers as you would maybe like them to, they haven't really needed to because they're just so good at suffocating people. Um, but that would be probably the one thing that you could say mm, they could probably force more turnovers because which and it's it's tough though because you also are across the state from University of Iowa, which is like far and they've like doubled second place for a number of t- for turnovers for since 2010 or something like that. Like they forced like three hundred something turnovers. Second place is forced like hundred ninety or something like. That. I mean, your your main rival in state is just absurdly good at forcing turnovers. So it's kind of hard to sit here and we yeah. ha- you know, our defense is just as good, but it's hard to sit there and watch them watch Cooper Jean back there picking up four passes a game when we're sitting here just you know being miserable because our offense sucks. You know, <laughs> at least their defense generates offense. Kind scores of thing, I guess points, is, yeah, right, yeah. yeah their de- their defense <laughs> scores more points than the offense. Um, <laughs> You know what's funny? Random. I'm gonna. I gotta throw my Iowa dig in here. Uh, they were playing their NCAA regional game a couple weeks ago for baseball, and Iowa. The Iowa pitchers hit ten batters in that game, and in their last game of the season, they hit ten batters. Spencer Petras threw nine touchdowns last season. So in one game, <laughs> Iowa baseball hit more batters than Spencer Petras threw touchdowns last season, which is an amazing stat. It's an all-timer of a stat, and it's a real and- good one. It, this wouldn't be an Iowa State podcast if we didn't have right, an Iowa day right, included yeah. in it. I get that. Right, right. I get that. Um, um, yeah, so okay. it's just one of those things that, uh, and just from 
talking to a few people, it sounds like the new defense. Uh, it sounds like uh, Dion Broomfield and the a new cornerbacks coach whose name is totally escaping me right now. Um, from what I understand is that there is a, because they have so much talent and athleticism in the secondary now that there is a sort of renewed emphasis on trying to be more ball hawks and trying to generate turnovers to help the offense and get going a little bit more. So if that, if, if generating four or five more turnovers this season ends in one extra touchdown because of a blown coverage, we'll take that. You know, that's, that's a certain, that's a fine trade-off there. So I think, Hopefully, we look to see both the offense and the defense being a little bit more aggressive this year because they're gonna they're, you know, this is a year that if you're gonna take some chances to try to get more more dice rolls going in your favor, this is the year to do it because there's there's talent, but it's young, so there's not necessarily a lot of expectations, but it's one where there's if if you get enough enough uh, bounces to go your way, things can go really well. Um, it's just you got sometimes you got to make your own look, and unfortunately, sometimes Iowa State's not very good at that. Um, and, and it's just one of those things, you know, it's the, the winning in the margins thing. The one, I mean, honestly, the one thing that really needs to get better is it was just been totally unacceptably bad is special teams. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm like segueing through one of your questions or not, but let's uh, hear about it because Matt Campbell certainly doesn't seem to think or talk about special teams. So let's do it on this podcast. For a yeah. While. So it was funny because of all the things he was real bad at, the la- the one thing he was not bad at that Paul Rhodes was not bad at was special teams. Iowa State was always a top ten unit in special teams. You know, if you look at different special teams power rankings and stuff like that, Iowa State was always a top ten unit under Paul Rhodes, and and Matt Campbell inherited a top ten unit. And they were like sixth in the country his first year, and then they were like seventeenth, and then they're like fortieth, and then they're like sixtieth, and then eightieth, and then I think it was a ten twelve podcast actually put a graphic out that every single year they've gotten worse. And then last year they were like 112 or something like that. Um, part of it's been the kicker situation, which has been up and down. Punter situation's been mostly okay, but sometimes up and down. Um, kick coverage units have been really bad. They hired a special teams coordinator, which is good. Which is you know like what's you know if you look at the common thread between all the good special teams units, they have special teams coordinators. That's correct. Um, kind of like that one year that we didn't have an offensive coordinator. <laughs> I don't know why we keep trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, I guess the whole like, oh, it's harder at Iowa State, so we got to do things different. Well, you don't have to do them that different, <laughs> which is funny because that year was that was 2018, which is like like Hakeem Butler, and that's the year Hakeem Butler went off and all that. It's kind of a, that was a weird deal. Um, we, don't worry, we've tried things different in Texas. We tried like two whole years where we tried not tackling to see how that worked on defense, and so you know everyone hmm. tries a little to innovate. But yeah, yeah, see, we not tried not well. winning for 117 years, and that didn't go well. <laughs> well, it actually it did go well, but it also didn't. So you know. Here bad plans are. all around. Bad plans all around. The special teams has to get better. They all, if they're as long as they're like not a net negative. If they're just a if they're just a wash, special teams, that's fine. That's a dub for Iowa State if it's a wash on special teams. You know, just be fine with be fine with it being a net zero. And but no matter what, kicking game has to get better. The kickers were atrocious last year. They have to get better. They had the the coverage has to be better. Like they just unfortunately, there's not a lot of to like elaborate on special teams because it's just like you need to make more kicks <laughs> and you need to kick the ball better. Like that's that's really all there is to it. Um, you know, <laughs> I I know there's more science to it, but I don't know it and I don't care that much because it's special teams. Um, <laughs> and neither does Matt Campbell, so it all works out. <laughs> you know, that's one that's an area too that I would say needs to not keep getting beat on because it you know if you look at Again, I hate comparing it to Iowa. Iowa has such a good special teams unit that it's yeah. That I mean, they like the special teams. The special teams wins them game. Like the phrase "punt to win" comes from Iowa yeah. because they literally can win games by punting and just ruining people's lives. They just were like, 
Torrey Taylor just sits there and just puts people at the four yard line and they have to deal with the Iowa defense. And it just makes everybody hate everything for a while, including Iowa fans. But they, but it wins some games. I would like to do that sometimes. You know, I want to win games. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's one of those things that has to get better. I don't know what the magic fix is besides try harder, I guess. Um, but that has to get better. It's the offensive line and special teams. If you can fix those two to be acceptable, lots of things open up. Lots of possibilities open up. But those are two of the hardest things to fix, especially without a coordinator. We have we have no coach after after as much special teams talks as this podcast will permit. Um, we have a segment that you've been a part of many, many times. We've renamed it yet again this year. And ironically, we're going back to offense. This is the hurry up offense section. You know what comes here, Levi? We ask you rapid fire questions. You give yes. us rapid fire answers and so um i'm gonna start it off easy rapid fire i've heard a couple numbers come from you but putting it on right now what is your win prediction for iowa state this season five you and i on ohio give me those cincinnati i think they'll be i think they can be byu too um they'll sneak something else out there iowa's offense is still going to be ducked so that all that game's always a nightmare so we can always yeah you can win that one I don't know if Baylor's going to be anything spectacular. I think they'll be fine, but I don't know if they're going to be anything outrageously good. That's one that you could steal there. Ted and Texas hates playing in Ames in the middle of November. So you know what? Sure. Maybe they're just going to be like, hey, let's ruin your guys' day. Wouldn't be the first time. Nope. So, so you mentioned the Iowa game specifically there. Uh, Iowa, Iowa State got its first win against Iowa since like what 2014 in a what 10-7 barn burner, uh, which is just so uh, 20... Yeah, 2014, yeah. If they win this year, it would be the first back-to-back win since the 11 and 12 season. What would you sacrifice to start a streak here? Like, what would be your, like, burnt sacrifice <laughs> at the altar to get to get a second win here against Iowa? Does it have to be a living thing? No, just anything. Anything it's that's... To you, it's honestly probably better if it's not, but... Well, <laughs> it had to be, like, some sort of, like, ritual sacrifice. Right? I didn't know how, like, I didn't know how big into the occult we're, we're getting into this here. Yeah, um, I'm going to say... I would burn an effigy of Brian Ferentz. Like I'd like make a big scarecrow dressed up as Brian mm. Ferentz and have this big thing in the backyard. It'd be, I'd do that. Okay. The only danger with that is maybe it would release whatever demon is holding him down from actually being a competent coordinator. <laughs> no, that's his own brains. That's the only thing holding him down. Uh, I, I was admittedly worried for Jeremy Renner for a moment that you were going to say you would actually burn Hawkeye. But uh, no, just like uh, all the rest of their athletic program, I would took took the nickname Hawkeyes from something else. So, <laughs> you know. So Texas will be leaving leaving the Big Twelve after this year. We, we're doing our our you know farewell tour i'm more curious as the new teams come in in the new 12 who are you most looking forward to starting a rivalry with and what will that rivalry trophy be called and what will that rivalry trophy the chili be called? bowl um because <laughs> it's gonna when they play in ames it's gonna be Ch- c-h-i-l-l-y and then when we go there it's c-h-i-l-i oh. the chili bowl there you go uh, homonyms i like absolutely. it absolutely i so i so i lived in cincinnati for a little while i dig skyline chili so fucking hard I love I love You're Cincinnati chili. I'm I'm Yeah, dude, I'll keep that place in business for the rest of my damn life. I don't even care. I'm like I'm like the the I'm the Cincinnati chili version of the the one person that keeps Long John Silvers going. I'm that guy. Um for Skyline Chili though because but and but it, honestly not even just Skyline, there's Gold Star there too which serves baklava. Ooh. Um you can get Yeah, I mean you can get chili dogs and baklava in the same place. Like come on. Um, uh, you know, I love Cincinnati style chili on the spaghetti with the three way, or if you even go to a five way with beans and with beans and onions too, 
fantastic. Um, Cincinnati, I'll be, I'll be uh, going to road trips there whenever I can. No doubt about it. Cincinnati, Houston's boring. UCF sucks. BYU's, eh, the stadium's probably nice, but I don't, they don't, like, you can't drink on their campus. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? It is a culture class. <laughs> like, we're going to go out there and we're going to be, like, bringing our own beer and they'll be like, what's this? And I'm like, I don't, you know, I, I feel like we're going to be bringing fire to the new world out there. I don't know what, like, <laughs> Sending sending Iowa State and Texas Tech to can you even imagine YouTube. who is like <laughs> the, the it's gonna crater it's it's going to implode on itself who is, who is like you know who should send to the to, to BYU where they don't drink alcohol <laughs> Iowa State and Texas Tech the ambassadors the <laughs> is the West ambassador. Virginia going out there because that's like the unholy trilogy I, no, let me find out I bet I bet let's see I don't know if they play or not I like while you're looking that up I like your idea of, of bringing fire I'm gonna call the Iowa State trip the Prometheus to Provo uh, <laughs> yeah, road <yeah>. trip <laughs> uh, let's see here BYU football schedule uh, they do play West Virginia in Morgantown BYU's oh gotta go gosh. to Morgantown <laughs> what, t- <laughs> what an awful road trip can you even imagine Golly terrible horrendous Talk- Bill, i mean west, west virginia is a bad road trip for anybody in the current big 12 like in the old big 12 correct and it's whew, going from provo to there big, like, disgusting big difference okay so this is my favorite factoid that i've stumbled upon in the summer of 2022 matt campbell served as the head coach of the gilbert sixth grade softball team yeah. and coached yep. them to a championship so absolutely so my question for you is other than football what other child sport do you think matt campbell could successfully moonlight coaching see the the first one that came to my brain is wrestling but the problem is that you have to be an absolute sociopath to coach wrestling um and matt campbell is not quite and he's not quite there uh he's he's a fairly like normal normal normalish dude as normal as college football coaches can be right um which is not normal at all (laughs) Correct. Um, but you have to be full on insane to be a, a a wrestling coach, especially a college wrestling. Have you guys ever heard like press con? I know Texas doesn't have wrestling, but have you guys ever heard like right? Yeah, you guys don't have wrestling. No, we, don't. we don't. Um, which is bizarre. Unfortunate. Yeah, I, know. I know. But like, if you have you guys ever seen like quotes that come out of wrestling press conferences? But before I think the answer is no. But before you give us info, I just want to posit this. I, I'm imagining right now that it is like they're training for the next level to go pro to be WWE heels, and they're just cutting cutting heel promos in these <laughs> Big Twelve <laughs> college. Is this what you're going to tell me is is happening? Well, actually, it's actually funny. A lot of college wrestlers now they just go straight. They go to MMA. Ah, um, uh, okay. If like if you ever get tired of coach like coach speak does not exist in wrestling. They will uh, say whatever is on their mind. They say all the things you kind of want them to say because it's just wild and, and it's just totally foreign to like college football and basketball, which is so like all the coach coach quotes are so sanitized. And <laughs> right. They, you're not actually. And I'm, this is coming from, you know, the program that has Matt Campbell, which is the undisputed champion of coach speak and saying coach absolutely speak. nothing. He is like the complete and total opposite. Of that. <laughs> he like Kevin Dresser is he, he trash talks and press conferences and stuff like that. He like like that's what wrestling coaches do. And Matt Campbell is not. He's not cut to be a wrestling coach because he's not crazy enough. I mean, he'd probably be a pretty decent basketball coach. I know he fall. I know he watches a lot of basketball. I'm sure he'd probably be a decent enough basketball coach. I have no idea what kind of scheme he'd run, but you know, that's probably. I would say probably basketball, um, mm. or golf. Hmm. I feel like the he college be, football to golf be, pipeline makes a lot of be, sense. He for, could probably be a golf coach. Yeah. 
Golf or basketball? Actually, it's funny. I, I would say I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say basketball because I do know that the coaches, the the football coaches, do have a basketball league that they play in. Like I like, like that. Yeah, because <laughs> it was uh, a couple years ago. Now Tyson Vite tore his Achilles playing pick up basketball in the in the coaches league. Um, something like or tore his, tore his Achilles or his ACL or something like that playing pick up basketball at the coaches league. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say basketball. I think that's gonna be my final answer. But if you told me it was a golf coach, I could see that. I'm I'm a big fan. We'll we'll wrap it there. I'll just say I'm a big fan of of the uh, people who aren't basketball players coming back with basketball related injuries. I heard Wright Thompson on a podcast recently talk about interviewing Clarence Thomas, um, and he asked him about the basketball court above the Supreme Court in which Clarence Thomas tore his ACL playing basketball. <laughs> That's a real story. That's awesome. And uh, like once he did that, all Clarence Thomas wanted to talk about was basketball, which is probably better um, depending on your political podcast. Yes. But, uh, but, but that's a different podcast. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But uh, I, I do, I do love the the uh, every. It's it's great to see even people who are very good at something else like my uh, self. It's always, think, it's always think fun you're a better see, basketball like, player. It's always fun to see people that are like famous for being in one thing also be passionate about something else right or like like Barack Obama with his basketball with the with basketball and stuff like that where you see right. him doing that like like stuff like that is is cool I like seeing that kind of Agreed. stuff where or you find out that someone also plays the guitar or something like that or was it um it was a football, football coach or basketball coach that said that they play the drums oh Brett Yormark he, he's a drum Brett Yormark is a drummer now makes sense I will makes say sense. I, and I was like that's cool the problem is when he, when he was talking about his kit that he has, he said it was a yellow Yamaha kit, and he didn't get specific enough to like, he, like he was he was big <laughs> enough that I had set off a red flag. I was like, mm, he might just own a drum kit and like say it's cool. Uh. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. It's cool that he's that he owns one, I guess. So that's that's cool. Um, if you, you know, maybe he's really into the drums. That's cool. Brett, I know you're, I know you're listening to this podcast. It's time you come and, and, and speak to, to noted drummer Levi and put this to, put this to bed. Yeah. Brett, if you're, if you're listening, I would like to hear more specs on the drum set just to, (laughs) just as a, a, a verification procedure. And Um, if our listeners would like more deep dives into Brett Yarmack's drum kit or the specs uh, that you were dropping yeah. on Iowa State football and all Iowa State sports. It just felt like too good of a transition to pass yeah, that's up. Fair. That's fair. Good friend of the podcast. Always a pleasure. Levi, where can <laughs> they find you and your incredible work? Uh, usually on the internet. Um, so, <laughs> no, uh, so it's Wide Right Natty Light. Um, I, my Twitter account, I rarely tweet about Iowa State. That's at Levi Arstev. I don't know if anyone wants to follow that or not. Um, but, you know, anyway, it's Wide Right Natty Light. It's at Wide RT Natty LT. We have a YouTube channel, a Discord. The Discord's awesome if you guys are ever looking for something like that. If we're, we're up uh, just about, I think we're just over 800 members, something like that. It's pretty good, nice. pretty good, nice. healthy, vibrant Discord. We've got channels for everything, including with me, all the way down to food and gaming and lawn garden stuff and then obviously sports channels and all that too stuff i mean it's it's a it's a vibrant and active community that would that's growing and it's it's a lot of fun so yeah we yeah youtube channel i just finished up a uh a series where we were streaming uh, college football revamp dynasty and we just i just finished the eighth season of it and nice yeah it was just i think we're kind of kind of wrapping up that dynasty but it's a lot of fun one like five or six national titles with i would say it was great um <laughs> kansas state was one eleven in the final season so I, the world you know the world was all in a good place. Um, Anything purple? But you guys are on board with that. You guys don't like Kansas City either. So, look they they've gone e- they've gone easier on us lately. It feels like they 
and maybe it's a statement on on Texas's waning position at the top, but they focus their their hate laser on OU lately, and it's kind of mm. been nice to just you know beat them a couple yeah. years in a row, and you know the, the hate is a little bit less. But yes, I, I I agree with you generally that that I don't. I I've never recovered from the Ron Prince years because that was terrifying to lose to those terrible Kansas State teams. I'm still not recovering. Guys lost to the Ron Prince. I mean, we lost to the Ron Prince, but we're Iowa State and you're yeah, Texas. Exactly. So like, I mean, you guys lost to you guys lost to the Ron Prince. Yeah. Teams? Oh yeah. Him and Josh Freeman yeah. terrorized. Yikes, bud. That's that's not great. Um, yeah. Oh well, Josh Freeman was good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that there was a Jordy Nelson. He was, under Bill he was under Bill Snyder though, wasn't he? Josh Freeman. He was. You can't. No, you can't claim Josh Freeman. He was there for Bill Snyder. <laughs> No, this was the Jordy Jordy Nelson days. No, 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 no. They did not. Well, maybe Jordy Nelson isn't that old. I mean, he's older, but he's not that old. He didn't play Kansas State in the mid nineties. No, 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 no. Prince was there in the two thousands. Two thousand. This was during oh, Snyder's campus, sabbatical. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Snyder's sabbatical was like oh six ish. Was it really? Yeah. No, 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 on... no, no, no. When they went to when they went to the Sugar Bowl in like oh three, Bill Snyder was there. There's yeah. no way that Ron Prince took him to the Sugar Bowl. No, no, no. Two- Snyder left, retired, and then came back because Prince was so bad. Right, but that was Two- in the 90s, wasn't it? 06 to 08. Ron Prince was 06 to 08. 06 to 08. I remember watching that bald demon on the sidelines in Austin. I conveniently forgot when that time was, just like the time that Kansas State just conveniently, Kansas State fans conveniently forgot that we just demolished them 45 nothing in 2020. So, you know. I'm allowed to forget when Ron <laughs> Prince was there because it's, it's you know, all you can't just erase 45 nothing. That's right. That's right. We know. we have our talking points and we stick to them. And I appreciate Absolutely. that about college football. Yeah, fans. just like like uh, Jared, like you know that was a it was you know like the 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 strip fumble with Jeremiah George in 2014 or in 2000 was 2013 against you guys. You know that should have been a fumble. I, I don't. I don't. Irate. I don't recall the incident in question. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Ron Prince won consecutive games against the University of Texas, 45-42 in Manhattan, and 41-21 in 2007. 41-21? I would not forget this. I was there for that game, and I kind of still want to kill myself thinking about it. On that note, Levi, thank you for making me pick that scab. Thank you for making me pick that scab. (laughs) Levi, Thank you so much once again, brother. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys later. As always, man. Have a good night. Gerald, um, let's bring this home with a bit of Godzilla Tron. I know we uh we tipped a little bit of this with with Hudson because you know we can't have a two four seven guy on and not have them talk about their Godzilla Tron. Those is the rules. Um, so uh what have you been watching, Gerald, on your giant screen? Yeah, so we talked about my 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 watching week on on Tuesday, <laughs> but uh, watched Extraction Two on Netflix. It is dumb in the way that you like action movies. Again, it's it's Chris Hemsworth, uh, big guns and things like that. Like you know, both his arms and the the guns he's using. Um, you know, it, it, seeing Chris Hemsworth not as Thor is always a little off putting to me, just because like that's the one thing he's mostly known for, but it's good. He's an act. He's a star. Like you can't deny it. Like Chris Hemsworth is a star. He's got the look. He's got the, the charisma. They don't use it enough in the extraction movies where he's kind of, he plays mm. like this, like, you know, beaten down old mercenary, which doesn't let him be as charismatic as he could be and should be. And really like, he's a hilarious guy with an incredible personality. So it's, I, I don't love that about it, but it is what it is. Um, and then we watched, uh, we finally got to, you know, we were in the midst of the move when, uh, when it came out, but we finally got to go see across the spider verse, took my son, 
on uh, to the movies for uh, my first time going to the movies with them is like his second or third time. Um, I thought it was really good. Uh, there, it, it, there were some moments where I think it could have moved a little quicker. I think um, there's a lot of story to tell, and I think they could have moved a little bit quicker through it. I think my son agrees uh, based <laughs> on the number of times he switched seats and moved between me and mom and went to the either side of both of us across it. Mm. He does. He is a six year old ADHD, so like two and a half hours is a big ask. Uh, but overall, I love seeing all the little references and in jokes and uh it was very much a nerd eye candy situation i enjoyed it um i still think i prefer into the spider-verse uh simply because it's like an actual complete story across the spider-verse is like the first of a two-parter so you got that going for it um but i think they told a really good story really interesting so that's story. why i was confusing um, I, I haven't seen either i know i know um into came out a couple years ago and it was you know everyone went gaga over it this is now across when is the when is the final chapter coming out it's a great question uh soon give me a second So unfortunately, we have to wait till 2024 to see Beyond the Spider-Verse, which is the culmination of what's going to be the trilogy. Um, but, I mean, they've already dunked on every multiverse thing that's out there and done it better than, like, Marvel has done it. So cool. I'm excited. But Mar March of 2024. I will we'll make that, a point to see um, both of the, these. The wrap-up of it. Uh, March of 2024. I, I, I am a terrible... Uh, comic book keeper upper with um you know like i did the avengers i was like we're done right and they're like oh no there's more uh to come so i will uh i will attempt to uh to get these because i've heard nothing but good things and i trust you so gerald i watched as i hinted the first three episodes of black mirror um just love seeing aaron paul in things um i mentioned i went back and finished better call Saul. so seeing aaron paul and and uh you know some of the characters from breaking bad in the cameos at the end of that uh, show. Um, it's been nice. He's been on my screen uh, a lot lately. I still haven't watched El Camino, which was, I think, the El, the Breaking Bad movie, um, So, which is an Aaron Paul vehicle. So maybe I need to do that. But uh, yeah, the first three episodes of Black Mirror, very good. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a A plus show. This is probably B plus material, right? These are episodes that would fit in any of the seasons. They may not any of the three that I've seen. And maybe there's better ones in four and five. I think there's five um that would be oh you have to watch this it's a top three episode so far but they're just really solid black mirror episodes that are interesting thought-provoking make you gas probably make you uncomfortable maybe make it a little scary a little queasy whatever it is but they're just they're just well made uh they're just throwing fastballs throwing 96 degree fast or my 96 miles 96 degree would be nice right now yeah, the heaters. Uh, 96 MPH heaters um, out here. But Gerald, the thing that I did want to tell you is I finally, finally started uh, something you've been imploring me for a long time to watch, Shrinking. Uh, so I'm a couple episodes in there and uh, loving it so far. That I didn't know I needed the combo of uh, Jessica Williams, Harrison Incredible. Ford, and, and and Jason Segel like together. That's um, <laughs> I love it. Jessica yeah. Williams has been brilliant yeah. in literally everything I've ever seen her in. Like, it's unfair. Um, 
I'm trying to the um what was the other show that they just well, she had a podcast. Oh, okay, um, okay. Love right. Life. So she two dope queens was her podcast, but um, she was in the second season of Love Life on uh, it was an Amazon show I think. If you haven't watched Love Life, mm. and I think it was a, a uh, Godzilla Tron for me a couple of months ago. Um, season <laughs> two was really really good. And I really enjoyed it. It is an adult show, um, so like that one. If you're not into like you know it's it's about you know dating and relationships and sex and those types of things, but uh, very very funny show. Um, check it out. That's all I've got for oh, you. Oh, you can follow this me on Twitter at Kyle Kirby. You can also find you on the internet. The Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. We're going to kick off our positional previews next week and also continue our schedule preview show. So we're excited the to have you back Directors next Cup week. Until next time, hook begins up. now. That's a two and a half hour.